0: You know, So please contact your CG leaders and contact me, email, Facebook, Messenger, whatever it is. I'd love to get together with you. Already some of you have been doing that, and I'm so thankful. Uh, Please, I'd love to get to know every member of our church, and I'd love to hear your journey. So please uh, contact me, and let's get together. If you're not a part of Full Life, thanks for tuning in. Uh, It's so great to have you. Uh, I I think God's doing so many great things here at Full Life, and, you know, once we do start meeting again, please come visit us at Chalora Public. We'd love to worship with you in person. But in the meantime, I hope you've been enjoying uh, the worship that we've been trying to do together with you online. And so, um, let's get to our Word of God today. It comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that we can just worship you. And God, we thank you for your words that give us life. Father, we pray that you would speak to us through this text. Speak to us during during this time, Lord, that we would just be drawn to you as a result. So Holy Spirit, do your work upon our hearts, whether we're in this room, no matter what room we are in around this world. God, work upon our hearts so that we might be yours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So if you've been journeying with us these past few months, we actually went through two major sections of Christ's teaching together. The first section was called the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are basically the most foundational and fundamental teachings of Christ, where he explains what it truly means to be a follower of Christ. But then Jesus kind of transitioned into another phase where he basically said, what would it look like for all those Beatitudes to actually come alive in an actual follower of Christ? and he concluded that if we lived out those beatitudes within our lives then we would make a huge impact in this world and he used the metaphors of salt and light to show that that is the case so what you have to realize is these teachings that jesus taught in those verses they were absolutely revolutionary. These are not the types of teachings that people heard down at the temple down the road, you know, and definitely, most certainly, it was not modeled in the lives of those priests and those teachers who taught it at that temple. Christ's teachings were different. And the reason why they were different is because Christ's teachings actually revealed God to people, maybe even for the first time in their lives. And more importantly, especially in light of today's message, Jesus didn't talk about religious rules, which is what these people probably heard their whole lives. But not only were the teachings revolutionary, but the way Jesus taught was revolutionary. It was totally different. The priests at the temple, they constantly taught that unless you were as good as they were, unless you could live up to their standards, you weren't good enough for God. And so obviously these teachers of the law, they, they hung out with those who are affluent. They gravitated towards those who were influential in society. But then all of a sudden, Jesus comes along. And does he speak to the affluent? No. He speaks and preaches to the uneducated. You know, and not only that, but he speaks to them personally. No rabbi or teacher ever spoke to these guys personally about God. But the difference is, Jesus valued them. And he valued them so much that he said that God believed in them. And if they simply would follow him, that they were going to transform the world forever. And that's certainly something that these guys have never heard before in their lives. And so the things that Jesus taught, and the way that Jesus taught them completely blew them away. So can you imagine being in the audience, listening to Jesus Christ preaching? Revolutionary, I think, is the only word that you can really use. I mean, it was that different. I mean, it was absolutely holy, yet personal. You know, it was absolutely confronting, yet inspiring, at the exact same time. And it was so different. After all these teachings, it was so different that these people started to think, hey, I think Jesus is redefining Christianity, as we know it, right in front of our eyes. And they began thinking, hey, if that's the case, then who needs the Old Testament anymore? Because God's doing something totally brand new right now. Who needs those Old Testament teachings? We don't have to obey those. Prophets? Absolutely obsolete. Look who we have right in front of us. We have Jesus Christ. He's the new sheriff in town, and he's cleaning house, and he's redefining, redefining what Christianity is all about. And so, Jesus Christ, sensing this momentum, sensing this movement, decides to take time out of the preaching to correct their thinking about, you know, to correct their thinking by preaching this particular passage, right? This particular truth, this is absolutely essential and foundational truth about him and his relationship the Old Testament. This passage actually is so foundational that most theologians today truly believe that it's one of those cornerstone passages that define who Christ really is. So today's message, I'm going to give you a little warning. Today's message is a little bit heavy. It's heavy on the content, okay? So if you love taking notes, you're going to love this one. You know, get your pen ready. There's a lot of content I'm going to throw at you, but There's a reason why, and hopefully it'll all be rewarded at the end. So let's get to this. You know, there are two points for today. The first has to do with Christ's relationship to the Old Testament. The second point has to do with why he decided to stop and preach this particular message. And then I'll end with a main point. I'll give you the main point at the end, and then I'll give you some application, two application points. So let's get to it. The first point is this. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law. Okay, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law. Verses 17 to 18, it says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. In these two verses, Jesus Christ is actually saying two things. Right? First, he's saying he didn't come to get rid of the law. He didn't come to replace the law. He came to fulfill it. And the second thing that he's saying is that all of scripture, every word, you know, every punctuation of scripture from Genesis to Revelation, you know, is not only eternal, but it's all from God. Now the thing is, if you were someone in the audience and you heard Jesus say this, you would have no problem with that second part. Of course, every word, of, every word that comes from Scripture is eternal and from God. But it's that first part that you're going to have trouble with, right? How is it that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law? And the prophets. And how does all that revolutionary teaching fit into Jesus Christ and the Old Testament? And those are the questions that I'm gonna to try to answer for us today. But before we get to that, there's something you need to understand about this phrase, the law and the prophets. That, that phrase, the law and the prophets, was a commonly used phrase which sums up all of the Old Testament. Testament, and that's that's actually crystal. That's made crystal clearly when Jesus tells his people what the greatest commandment in the Bible is in Matthew chapter 22. He says, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind." And then he concludes in verse 40 by saying this. He says, "All the law and the prophets hang." Commandments. What is he saying here? He's saying all of the Old Testament, all of Scripture hang. On these two commandments. So when Jesus said verses 17 and 18 in our passage today, he was saying that he didn't come to get rid of or replace the Old Testament. He came to fulfill it. But the question is, how? How did Jesus Christ come to fulfill the law? He did in four ways, okay? And I'm going to share those with you. First, he fulfilled the law by keeping the law perfectly. He kept the law Perfectly. You know, there are so many verses in scripture that support this. There was a huge list, so I decided just to choose one out of the huge list of verses that support this. And the one that I chose was the one that Jesus actually spoke about when he was getting baptized by John the Baptist. In Matthew 3, verse 15, he says this He says, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness, and what he was saying was this. He was telling John that he had to become a man in every aspect, even getting baptized, so that he could fulfill all of the Old Testament's demands. You know, and not only did he fulfill them, but he fulfilled them perfectly. What does that mean? It means that if Jesus Christ fulfilled every single law of the Old Testament perfectly, then he is absolutely sinless. So Jesus Christ, kept the law perfectly. Secondly, he fulfilled the law by fulfilling every messianic prediction of the Old Testament. There are so many prophecies, direct prophecies of Christ, there are so many indirect prophecies of who this Messiah was going to be, and if you just even studied them, you know, it talks about like where he was going to be born, what he looks like, what his life was going to be like the method of his death and how he was gonna be resurrected. It talked about why he was sent. there. Is new. There are numerous upon numerous verses that predict what the Messiah is gonna be like. And there are way too many to list. And so as an example, I decided to choose Isaiah 53, which is like the pinnacle prophecy that talks about the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And I was actually gonna read the whole thing to you, but I realized it's just way too long and you probably get bored and fall asleep. So I decided just to choose two verses. Isaiah 53, verses five and six, it reads, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. You mean, these verses, they were written generations before Christ. Jesus fulfilled every single word of it, not just these two verses, but he fulfilled every other messianic prophecy in exactly the same way. Why? Only the true Messiah could do that, and Jesus was it. He was the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Thirdly, he also fulfilled the Old Testament by dying on the cross. You know, if you didn't know it, the law was given to man so that the Israelites, so the law was given to the Israelites so that they could realize two fundamental things about themselves. Number one, their sinfulness, and therefore, number two, their need for forgiveness. Right? The law was never given to us so that we could obey it perfectly. When God gave the law to man, he knew that we could not obey the law perfectly. But we were encouraged to try to obey this law so that we could realize how short we truly fall before this holy God. And the point of that was for us to continually realize our need for forgiveness. And that's why God instituted the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. He said, well, since you guys need to be forgiven, bring an animal and sacrifice it on the altar, and that animal will pay the penalty for your sins. But the difficulty and the problem was that all of these animals were also sinful. And so they were imperfect. Imperfect sacrifices pay the penalty for our sins imperfectly. And that's why they had to offer these sacrifices year after year after year. 1 Peter 1 verses 18 and 19 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. You know, because Jesus Christ obeyed the law perfectly, he satisfied its demands perfectly. That means that he was sinless through and through, which qualified him to become the perfect once and for all sacrifice to pay the penalty of all sins perfectly and he did that when he died on the cross if the point of the law was to make us realize our sinfulness and therefore our need for forgiveness through sacrifices then by dying on the cross as our perfect sacrifice jesus fulfilled the law perfectly you guys get that okay lastly the fourth reason the fourth way is by bringing the old testament to fruition, You know, this is actually the ultimate way that Jesus Christ fulfilled the Old Testament. All of it, all of it pointed to Jesus Christ. Every verse, every chapter, every book of your Old Testament not only points to Jesus Christ, but is about Jesus Christ. And that's why he says in verse 18 that every part of the Old Testament, even down to the most minute pen stroke, which is like a dot, you know, almost like a mistake, <laughs> like this dot, everything points to Christ. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was Scripture. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Scripture, Christ, the Word was God. Verse 14 says, The Word became flesh. Scripture became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace And truth so scripture became a man Jesus Christ and therefore Jesus Christ is the literal embodiment of all of Scripture and so not only is Christ the fulfillment of Scripture but all of Scripture can only find all of its fulfillment in Christ alone so Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law for those four reasons so Why is this important? Why did Jesus Christ have to stop to share this message with these people at that time? And the answer is to teach them once again how they can be saved. All right, just in case they didn't get it from the other verses, he did it once again. How do we know that that's the the case? Verse 20, verse 20 says, For I tell you, which is Jesus Christ saying something really important, you better listen. For I tell you, you better listen. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So you see, what he's saying here, what he's telling them is, hey, salvation is on the line behind what I'm, what I'm trying to teach you, so you better listen up. Now, what you have to realize is most of the people at that time who were listening to Jesus Christ preach, you know, they honestly believed that the scribes and the Pharisees were like the most holy people who walked the earth. So when the common person heard what Jesus was preaching, Man, that was a really difficult truth to swallow. I mean, oh my goodness. If I have to be more holy than the holiest people I know on this earth in order for me to get into heaven, then I guess I'm going the other way. Because that's impossible. I can't be more holy than those guys. And the question is, is that exactly what Jesus was trying to teach them? Exactly what, is that what Jesus meant when he told them this verse? Right? That you have to be more holy, or even that much more holy than the scribes and the Pharisees? And the answer is... Yes. That's exactly what he was teaching them, but maybe not in the way that you think, but that's exactly what he was trying to teach them. There were two things about salvation that he wanted to make sure that these people knew. And the first is this. Outward religion can't get you in. Our religion cannot get you into heaven. You see, these scribes and these Pharisees, they were all about the external. You know, they replaced a genuine relationship that they could have had with God. They replaced that with these religious acts, when these religious Rules, You know, instead instead of obeying the law, which would have, like, convicted them of sin and driven them to repentance and have this awesome relationship with God, they reduced the law down to manageable, pious-sounding rules. And they thought that if they obeyed the rules that they created, that that pleased God and that was good enough to get them in. Now, before we judge them too quickly, we, even in 2020, We do a lot of similar things, we really do. For example, if someone asks you, did you do your quiet time today? You know, what criteria do you evaluate to say yes or no, right? I'll tell you what I think about So when someone asks me, hey Eddie, did you do your quiet time today? The first thing I think is, did I read a verse? And the second thing I think about is, did I pray at all, you know? And if if those two boxes get ticked, I tell people, yep, I had my quiet time today. But isn't the whole point of a quiet time To have quality time with Jesus? To actually have a heart-to-heart interaction with Christ? But did I even mention Jesus in my answer? No, I didn't. Because to me, it's not about meeting Jesus. It's about accomplishing those tasks that I can tick off. Do you see? I reduced a quiet time down to uh, tasks that I can accomplish rather than a true heart-to-heart with Jesus Christ. You know, you know, you understand what I'm saying? We do that all the time. We do that with things like Sunday service. You know, sometimes we think, oh, as long as I tune into this live stream, I did my Sunday service. But no, it's about offering ourselves and worshiping the Lord of the universe. Did you do that? You know? You know, we do that with things like loving our neighbor. I mean, we say, yeah, we, I love my neighbor, but really a lot of times our love for our neighbor is really just charity. You know? We do that a lot of times with our love for God. You know, we do that all the time. And the thing is, we reduce all those things down to man-made things that we can kind of tick. And as long as we do those things, we feel good about ourselves. We actually believe and convince ourselves that God's pleased. And some of us actually believe that by doing those things, we actually get into heaven. Many times in our lives, we exchange what could be so eternal for the external, you know? But just like the Pharisees, external Christianity, you know, all these manageable acts, you know, they, they're just useless, right? They don't get us anywhere. They don't bring us closer to God. They don't grow our faith, and they certainly don't convict us of sin, do they? They don't even forgive our sins, which is probably even better, right? Outward performances, which is what they really are. Let's just, you know, call an apple an apple. These outward performance, have no, they have no spiritual power. They have no spiritual efficacy to change our lives or to get us into heaven, right? So that's why Jesus Christ, in verse 20, is screaming to us, Will you please just stop? Stop the show. Stop cheating yourself out of this relationship that you could have with him. Stop lying to yourself by trusting in the externals. Because salvation the true worship of Christ, and salvation is on the line. Stop reducing the laws. And start revering Christ. Start relishing Christ. Stop playing Christianity. And start partaking in Christ. Stop being a fake and start practicing faith, real faith. Because all that outward religious stuff, it doesn't get you in, and it doesn't get you anywhere. What does get you in is the second point that Jesus Christ is making. What gets you into heaven is faith in his righteousness. You see, when the casual listener was listening to what Jesus Christ was saying in verse 20, right, that unless your righteousness exceeded that of the scribes and Pharisees, that would have gotten them very depressed, because they knew that these guys were the holiest guys on earth, and they knew that they could never be better. So some people in that audience, they were depressed from that teaching. But for the astute listener in that audience, I mean, they just heard Jesus Christ talk about what? Light right? And true light, true followers of inattractive an attractive and beautiful deeds. They never saw attractive and beautiful deeds in the lives of the scribes and the Pharisees. So when Jesus Christ said that there's a righteousness which is greater than the scribes and the Pharisees, it created a hunger in them to want that righteousness. Instead of being depressed, they were hopeful. They wanted that righteousness which is attractive, which is more beautiful, and which is greater than the scribes Uh, And the Pharisees. And in this passage, Jesus Christ is telling them that he fulfilled the law and became that righteousness in order to satisfy that hunger in all of us eternally, which is the whole point of this passage. He, he is the righteousness which is more attractive, more beautiful, and greater. And if you trust in him, verse 20 says, then his righteousness can be yours, therefore making your righteousness greater than the scribes and the Pharisees, which now gets you into heaven. You guys get that? That's what this whole passage is about. This is what Jesus Christ is trying to tell them. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law so that he could become that righteousness for us. So, what does that mean, though, for us today? You know? How are we supposed to respond to this particular teaching today? And then there's two ways that I think we should respond. And the first is this. If you want to be saved, stop trusting in anything outward. And stop trusting in anything religious. Put your faith in Jesus Christ alone. Okay? You know, many people in the world today believe that all religions and all types of faith, somehow, some way, all lead and converge into heaven. But it's just not true. And Jesus Christ proves it in our passage today. He even says, you know those scribes and those Pharisees down at the temple, down at the road, these guys who are supposed to represent God to you, they're not getting in. And the reason why they're not getting in is because the entrance into heaven is extremely exclusive. The only way that we get into heaven is by being perfectly Sinless. Okay. Our passage today, perfectly sinless, the way that they're saying perfectly sinless is a perfect righteousness or a greater righteousness. Those those are the same things. And we said that Jesus Christ is the only perfect righteousness that ever existed. No other religion and no other religious figure in all of history can ever lay claim to that, at least not truthfully, right? And Jesus Christ became that perfect righteousness so that he could offer it to us. When Jesus Christ died upon the cross, He not only paid the penalty for our sin perfectly, but He offered His perfect righteousness to us in exchange for our sinfulness. And the moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ, that righteousness becomes are and from that point on god can only see us as perfectly sinless because we have the righteousness of christ and therefore it now gives us entrance into that exclusive not because of anything that we've done but because of everything that christ did for us he became our righteousness for us so that we could have his righteousness forever If you want to be saved, if you want eternal life, if you want to have a true, sincere relationship with God, stop trusting in all of these, you know, other things, other religions. Stop trusting in anything externally religious. Stop trusting in your good works, you know, anything for salvation. None of those things have the power to save you. Put your faith in Jesus Christ alone, because only his perfect righteousness can save us. Secondly. Since we love Christ and this is for believers, since we love Christ and the word is Christ, let's love him by obeying every command of scripture. Obedience, okay? You know the best part of having Christ's righteousness as our own is that we can go to God whenever we wish. We are always covered by the blood of Christ. We are always covered in perfect righteousness, which means we are always perfectly loved by this holy and loving God, righteous God, right? And because of that, we can now fully give ourselves to every command of Scripture, never having to fear judgment and never even having to fear failure. Do you know why that is? is because his perfect righteousness bought perfect forgiveness to us so that we can operate our lives in perfect freedom. Perfect freedom, once again, is not the, the ability to do whatever you want, whenever you want to. Perfect freedom is knowing that you are perfectly loved by a holy and righteous God, and Christ accomplished that for us. And hopefully that frees us and compels us to want to live every single day of our lives in obedience to all that Christ is, who is Scripture. Verse 19. Verse 19 says, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do so the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. What is it saying? It's saying that if you now know that Jesus Christ is the embodiment of all of Scripture, then make it your joy not only to obey every command of Scripture in your life, but to help others and to teach others do it, to do it in theirs as well. And for those who do, God actually says in this verse that you hold a greater place in heaven. Isn't that crazy? You actually hold a greater place in heaven if you live in obedience and teach other people to do so. Jesus says in John 14, verse 15, He says very simply, If you really love me, keep my commandments. What's what's all the saying? What's the whole point? Obedience is the hallmark of a passionate lover of Christ. Obedience is the hallmark of a passionate lover of Christ. If we want to walk powerfully as salt and light in this world, then obedience really has to be the priority. Our Obedience to, to Scripture. And not just the, like, the parts that we like, because sometimes we don't like certain parts of Scripture. Obedience to all of it, because all of it is Christ. All of it points to Christ. And the more we obey, the more attractive and beautiful we will become. Because the more we obey, the more Christ will actually be our lives. So let's love Christ by obeying His commands. Let's live out a faith that passionately reveals how attractive and beautiful and greater Christ's righteousness really is. Christ fulfilled the law perfectly so that we could do just that. Let's pray. You know, if you've never put your faith in Christ, can I just invite you to do that today? You know, He loves you, and He wants you to be His. Will you simply surrender to Him? Stop trusting in other religions. Stop trusting in outward religiosity in any way. Put your faith in Christ. That's the only way to get to heaven, to trust in His perfect righteousness, His perfect forgiveness for you. And He did that when He died upon the cross, when He lived a perfect life for you and died upon the cross. Will you put your faith in Jesus Christ today? Right, let's trust in Him and nothing else you know if you're a believer let's let today be the last day that you play christianity let's stop playing that game and let's truly be a christian let's truly be a follower of christ let's stop all of our reducing let's stop lying to ourselves let's stop cheating ourselves out of this relationship with god and let's live in obedience as passionate lovers of Christ. It doesn't matter if we get it right. It doesn't matter if we make mistakes because we're passionately loved, perfectly loved by God. We don't have to fear failure. We don't have to fear judgment or anything because we're loved by God. So let's live freely, comprehensively for His glory. And let's live our life in obedience because He fulfilled it all for us. Let's pray. To we thank you, God. We thank you for sending your Son Jesus. Father, we thank you that He is the complete fulfillment of everything. That He lived us He like did, everything that He could to live faithfully, sinlessly, to become our perfect righteousness. God, we praise you. We glorify you for that. Lord, we pray that that truth. Father, we thank you so much for Christ to live a perfect life so that he could become our perfect righteousness. Father, so that he could pay the penalty for our sins perfectly, but so that he could give us his perfect sinlessness, so that we could be perfectly loved by you, perfectly adored by you. And God, so that we can live every single day of our lives here on Earth perfectly loved, perfectly secure in who we are in Christ so that we can live obediently for your glory. Lord, we pray, God, help us never to trust in outward things, help us never to trust in outwardly religious man-made rules, but Lord, help us just to trust in you alone, God. You are the only one that has the power to change lives. You're the only one that can use us, Father, to change this world. So Lord, help us to trust in you and in who you are and what you've done, God, so that we might truly be salt and light in this world. Father, so that we can truly be sons and daughters, we're truly sold out through the only one who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Lord, we want you to be greater. Lord, for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, God, guard their hearts. Father, we know that the evil one might might attack, will attack. Father, we pray that you will guard them, you'll protect them. And Father, we pray that you'll grow them. Help them to find a church, God, where they can grow in and be discipled in. Lord, may they truly be believers who change the world for your glory. And Father, for those who are Christians like me, Lord, we pray that you'll help us to stop playing. You know, stop faking this faith, but Lord, help us to truly live out a sincere faith, one that honors you, one that just loves you, one that relishes you, and one, God, that just makes you greater in our hearts so that you could become greater through us. Father, we want to be yours, so help us to do that as your people. We thank you, God, so much for all this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.